الحمد للہ وقف وسلام that verily each and every human soul will taste death every single human being will pass away from this world and move on to the next one the dhikr of maut, the remembrance of death in the deen of Islam is not meant simply to be some type of morbid reflection or to reflect upon the grave or upon death or upon the passing away more than that, the zikr of maut is meant to lead a person to the zikr of the akhirah. In other words, there is a reason that in the deen of Islam we are prompted so much to remember and to reflect upon death is so that we realize that this world is going to come to an end, that our life on this world is going to come to an end, that this time that we're spending in this world is temporary, is transitory, is fleeting. And that we are moving towards an eternal permanent abode known as the Akhirah. So Imam Al-Huzayr in his Ihya Al-Muddin mentions the link between the remembrance of death and the remembrance of the afterlife. And belief in the afterlife is something that is part of our Yaqeen. Long time ago when we met about a month ago we were discussing the topic of Iman and Yaqeen or achieving absolute and certain faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And part of that Yaqeen means to have a firm and unshakable absolute certain belief in the Akhirah in the hereafter. <coughs> there are three phrases that are normally used to describe Yaqeen. The first is called Ilmul Yaqeen, then Ainul Yaqeen, and then thirdly, Hakkul Yaqeen. Ilmul Yaqeen, Ainul Yaqeen, and Hakkul Yaqeen. And the reason a lot of us don't think like this because it's very difficult, or rather it's very unusual for a young woman in her early 20s to think about death. Because the purpose that, again, the remembrance of death is to lead us to the remembrance of the afterlife, the remembrance that this world is short. But a woman who is in her early 20s, is her kefiyat, her state of mind is entirely the opposite. For her, her life is just about to begin. She's just come to college, she's come to university, she's learning so many new things. So many new horizons are being opened up in front of her. She has yet to get married, yet to have children, yet to perhaps work in some way. She feels that she, her whole life is ahead of her. In fact, the state of many young people when they enter college is they feel as if their life just began. So if there's a person who thinks that their life has just begun, it's very unlikely and very unusual for them to actually maintain in that state some remembrance of death, some remembrance of afterlife, that my life is about to end. And that's why it's important actually for people of our age to remember and remind ourselves of this sabak, of this, uh, of this lesson of remembrance of the afterlife. So ilmu yakin means to know something with certainty, to have certain knowledge about something. Uh, without having necessarily seen it and without having experienced it. For example, many of us might have ilm and yakin about the fact that there's a place called New York City, although many of you may not have seen it and therefore many of you have not experienced it. But your knowledge of that is absolute. 
right? And this is very important to realize that this is one way actually we are brought to certainty. And that is on the basis of our knowledge. The second level of yakin is Ainul Yaqeen, that means that we achieve a certain knowledge of something or we have certainty about something by virtue of seeing it. <coughs> by virtue of seeing it due to our sensory perception. So those people who have actually seen New York, then they would say that okay we have Ainul Yaqeen, we have certainty that it exists because we have seen it with our own eyes. And the third level of yakin is Hakul Yaqeen. Hakul Yaqeen means that we have experienced it, we have lived it, we have witnessed it, and therefore we know it to be true. So normally actually the example given for this is like that of a mango. So Ilmu Yaqeen means that you have, you know for, with certainty that there is such a thing called a mango. Ainul Yaqeen happens when you actually see the mango, and Hakul Yaqeen happens when you actually taste the mango. Once you taste the mango, you experience the mango, then you reach a level called Hakul Yaqeen. Now our Sahaba Kiram radiallahu anhum ajma'in had Hakul Yaqeen about the Akhirah. Now when I say that Hakul Yaqeen about the Akhirah is another question that you should be asking, how is that possible? Because they didn't even have Ainul Yaqeen on the Akhirah, they didn't even see the Akhirah, let alone having experienced the Akhirah. This was the power of their Iman, this was the power of their Itimad on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This was the depth of their belief in the Qur'an and the Sunnah that they reached in this world. A level of Hakkul Yaqeen, so much so that Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, in one of his most famous sayings, he said, that even were I to see Jannah or to see Jahannam, even if Jannah in all its resplendent glory and all of its bounties and blessings were to be put in front of me, and were Jahannam with all of its trials, torments, tribulations, punishments to be put in front of me, it would not increase my Iman in either of them one iota, one drop. In other words, he had already reached a level of Yaqeen in that based on the ilm of the Qur'an and Sunnah, based on the ilm that he got from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and through his beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So they were people who had, uh, they lived their life in a state of haqqul yaqeen. And that is the yaqeen that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means in the Qur'an al-Kareem when he says, فَعْبُدُ hatta أَنْتَعْتِيَ الْيَقِينَ وَعْبُدُ hatta أَنْتَعْتِيَ الْيَقِينَ That you should keep engaging in the ibadah of Allah and the worship of Allah and the remembrance of Allah and the reflection upon Him and His majesty until such a point reaches you that you become overcome with yaqeen. The meaning in that verse is haqqul yaqeen. And the Sahaba really lived their lives as if uh, this world was trivial. The reality that the sign that a person has absorbed the dhikr of the Akhirah is that every moment in this life they're aware of the fact that this world is trivial and this world is a distraction. And they, this world fails to distract them in any way from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore he said about them in the Qur'an al-Kareem, رِجَالٌ لَا تُنْحِيهِمْ تِجَارَةٌ مُلَّا بَيْعٌ عَنْ ذِكْرِ that the Sahaba were such human beings that la him it did not neither uh, distract them not bayun neither did any worldly activity distract them nor any worldly occupation distract them and dhikrullah from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing in this world could distract them from the akhirah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they were at this level of haqqul yaqeen. They were always thinking about the akhirah. So in addition to uh, what we've talked about many times, which is the dhikr of Allah, that we should always be aware, focused and remembering Allah. Another thing that has to be constantly on our mind is the akhirah, is the hereafter, is the afterlife. One famous shaykh said that you should plan for this world 
as much as you plan to live in it. And you should plan for the Akhirah as much as you plan to live in that. And given obviously that we plan to live in or we will be living in the Akhirah for eternity, and we live in this world but a few decades, that means that our planning, our focus should be much, much more for the Akhirah than it is for this world. And the Sahaba were willing to sacrifice the dunya for the sake of the Akhirah. There's a very famous story of a Sahaba in the time when the Prophet saw some in Madinatul Manawara, a new person, uh, a person newly accepted Islam. And there, it was a practice of the Prophet and to some extent it continues to this day, called Ta'lif al-Qalb, which is that the Prophet used to want to soften the hearts of new entrants to Islam, to welcome them, to make them feel welcome in their new deen. So much so in the Quran it is mentioned that one of the categories of the people upon whom originally one could give zakat was a person who simply newly entered Islam in order to do ta'lif of their qalb, in order to soften their heart. Khair, in this day and age it's not permissible to give such a category of zakat anymore. But the spirit is still there. So this person came and he accepted Islam and he was a new Muslim. And he went to the Prophet and he asked him for something. And because the Prophet wanted to keep his heart, the Prophet wanted that his wish should be granted. His wish was as follows, that he said that I have a date garden, a grove of date palms, and I wish to build a boundary wall around it. Now my boundary wall would be a perfect rectangle, but there are a few, a handful of trees that belong to somebody else. I tried to buy them from him many times in order that I would be able to complete my garden into a perfect rectangle and build my boundary wall and he is not uh, he has refused to sell me those date palms and he is a Muslim so I was wondering Ya Rasulullah if you could speak to him and intercede on my behalf or plead my case on my behalf and convince him to sell me those date palm trees so Rasulullah began to keep the heart of the new Muslim he agreed so he called that Sahaba that Sahaba was an old person and he asked that Sahaba that do you have such and such trees? And the Sahaba said, yes, so that is, uh, those are all of my trees. And that is where I also make my home. So the Prophet said that, you know, would you be willing to sell them to this person in order that he could complete uh, his rectangle and build his boundary wall? So the old man, the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, is this your hukam or is this your masfira? Is this your hukam, is this your command to me? As the Prophet, the Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Or is this simply a suggestion? Is this your advice? Is this a request? So the Prophet responded that No, this is not my hukum, this is not my amr, this is not my command This is simply my request, my suggestion to you So then the Sahaba said that Ya Rasulullah, if it is just your suggestion, I do not wish to comply And the reason for that is I'm an old man And I've lived my entire life uh, in Amongst these trees, I have but a f- I, all likelihood I have but a few years left to live on earth. I wish to con- to live the rest of my life in a situation, in a setting, in a surrounding that is familiar to me. Then the Prophet tried to give him a further incentive, and he said that whoever is willing to give these uh, trees for this new Muslim, Allah Subhanahu wa promised them a garden of date palms in Jannah in the Akhirah. But the old Sahaba felt, when he asked the Prophet the Ya Rasulullah that will we not have whatever our heart wishes in Jannah? And the Prophet said yes. Then the Sahaba said that I do not need these, guard, these date 
trees in Jannah I need them here in this world Because this is where I'm comfortable This is where I've grown up So then that old man went away There was another sahaba who witnessed this whole exchange So he went to the Prophet ﷺ and said Ya Rasulullah that promise that you made of a garden in Jannah Was it just for him or was it for anybody? And the Prophet said, no, that anybody who delivers to me these trees, that, that portion of that date palm grove, Allah and gives them to me so that I may give them to this new Muslim Sahaba, then Allah SWT, that promises for him, that Allah SWT will grant him uh, a garden of date palms in Jannah. So then this Sahaba went to the owner of those trees, the old man. And he went to him and in the beginning he just sort of started chatting him up just to become familiar. And he said, old man, have you heard that there's this beautiful date palm grove in Cuba? And the old man said, oh yes, I've heard of that. That's a very, very famous garden. And he said, don't you know how excellent those dates are, how sweet those dates are? They're much better than the dates that you have on these trees. And the old man said, no, no, certainly I know that's a very famous garden. I know, I've heard very well that those dates are extremely delicious, that the garden is very beautiful. Then the person said, but old man, I am the owner, I'm the malik of that date palm grove, that garden in Koba. How about you move there and you take that entire garden from me and you make your home there for the rest of your days on earth. And the old man said, looked at him incredulously and said, well what, what in the world would make you want to give me that famous wonderful garden and invite me to make my home over there? And he said, old man, just in exchange for this, you give me these few trees that you call your home today. So the old man was won over and he moved, he sold those trees and he moved into this person's date palm garden. So then that sahaba went to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, I've managed to procure those trees and I give them to you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that you may do with them as you please and that so the dua that you made should the dua that you promised to be true of earning a garden in Jannah would come true for me. And the Prophet happily took it and said that yes the dua will come for you. Then the Sahaba went to his home and he stopped at the edge of his garden and he called out to his wife, Ya Umme Fulan. For example, Ya Umme Bilal, O mother of so and so. And he kept calling her and then finally she responded from inside the house and said, Oh my husband, why are you calling me? And he said that I want you to take all of the belongings and our children and vacate our property immediately. And she said, What has gotten into you? And he said that today I have sold this entire property including the house in which you are sitting at this moment uh, to the, and, he, and he narrated to her, related to her the whole story in exchange for a garden in Jannah. And then that wife said to him, that Sahabiya said to him that, Oh my husband, today for the first time in your life you have made a wise decision. And she came out with all of her belongings and her children. This was the level of yakin that the Sahaba had for the Akhirah. Right? That even at the slightest suggestion of earning something in the Akhirah, they were willing to sacrifice their entire dunya. But the lesson for us is that at the very least, the lesson we should take from this is we should be willing to sacrifice part of our dunya or part of our wishes or our desires or our pleasures or our plans for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of attaining His eternal pleasure, for the sake of securing for ourselves a, a comfortable uh, a place in the Akhirah, a place in which we are close, in close proximity to the Anbiya, a place in which we are close proximity to the Ummahatul Mu'mineen, a place in which we are close proximity to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
So the reality of the Akhirah, the remembrance of the Akhirah, is something that we have to carry with us at each and every moment. And that is why there are so many things in our deen which is mentioned, this remembrance of death and the remembrance of afterlife. And there are so many things in the Qur'an and Sunnah that have tried to expose to us or to make us aware of the haqiqat or the reality of this world. For example, the Prophet that the dunya, that this material world, this worldly life is decision, is the prisoner for the believer. Now what does that mean? Now any person who is in prison and knows that their prison sentence is a specified limited term, then all they think about all the time in prison is the moment that they will be free. All they think about when they're in prison is about their emancipation, their liberation, their freedom from that prison. In other words, all they think about is the world outside or the world beyond that prison. Just like that, this dunya is a decision for the believer. It doesn't mean that they're living a life in shackles or in chains. It means that they're as desirous of leaving this world as a prisoner is desirous of leaving a prison. Now how many of us really have that desire? That we desperately yearn to leave this world and enter the Akhirah. Right? In the Quran Kareem, Allah SWT mentions this in different ways. He talks about Mankana Yerjullahi, Mankana Yerjullika Allahi, those people who yearn for Allah SWT, those people who yearn for the Lika, for the Mulaqat, for the meeting with Allah SWT, those people who yearn for the Day of Judgment, those people who yearn for the Akhirah to begin. Right? And this was the state of the Sahaba That they were people who realized the triviality of this world And they were yearning for the Akhirah In fact the only thing that kept them going The only thing that kept them sane in this world Was their knowledge that this world would end uh, And the Akhirah would begin Right? So we have to look at ourselves At how many of us really have that state How many of us actually view this dunya as a sijin As a, as a prison Right? And how many of us actually are viewing this dunya as far from a prison, but as our jannah, right? Because that is the sifat of the unbeliever. A dunya usidnatul mu'min with jannatul kafir, and it is a jannah for the unbeliever, right? In other words, for him it's, or her, it's the be-all and end-all of her life. It is the source of her happiness. That is what jannah is, right? Jannah is the abode of happiness, the abode of peace. So if we view this world as the source of where we're going to get peace and happiness, obviously everybody wants to live a peaceful and happy life. But we, but we have to remind ourselves that ultimate peace and ultimate happiness lies in the akhirah. If we are people who ultimately draw our peace and happiness from this world, and we're neglectful, neglectful or negligent of the akhirah, that means that we haven't lived up to this hadith, right? And again, this hadith, the saying of the Prophet was, he said this to us, to produce an intended effect, to produce a transformation of the heart and mind, to create a way of life and outlook inside of us. And so all of these verses of the Quran and all of the hadith and the sunnah are really meant to be implemented, internalized, actualized. And until unless we feel that we are living realities of those words, right? Then we haven't done justice to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the words of His Blessed Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How can a person remember the afterlife? Right? How can we increase in our dhikr of the akhirah? The first thing is to try to remind ourselves, number one, simply of its existence. Because the reality is that most of our day and our night is spent in a state of oblivion. That we totally, in other words, we totally forget, we are totally unaware 
that there is something called the Akhirah that every second of our life brings, up, brings us one step closer to that that there is an inevitable final ultimate bridge that we will cross which is death that will lead us from this world into the next so one, the first step is simply trying to remind ourselves of its existence making ourselves aware that that is our final destination I gave you this example once before that a person when they're traveling and they go stay one night in a hotel room they don't get attached to that hotel room no matter how wonderful that hotel room is no matter how glamorous that hotel is no matter if it's a 5 star, 6 star, 7 star hotel how beautiful the lobby is, how beautiful the room is, the furniture is, the linens are, the curtain is they don't get attached to it in any way, right? why? because they know that I'm just here for one night or two nights or three nights in other words, the aware, they're, because they are perpetually aware of the fact that this hotel room is just a temporary abode because they're perpetually remembering their actual home they're remembering where they're going to go after the three day hotel stay so the remembrance of all of those things is what enables them to realize what is what enables them to uh, what enables them to stay away from becoming overly attached to that hotel room right so similarly we have to keep a dhikr or a remembrance of the akhirah at the very least be aware of its existence remind ourselves throughout the day throughout our lives whenever we make major decisions whenever we make major plans whenever we plan our lives our studies our careers our futures to keep at least an element in that planning that we should remind ourselves that well actually you know I need to plan for what's going to happen even after that I need to plan for after my marriage after my kids even beyond that I need to plan my life in such a way that it takes into account the akhirah I need to in other words plan for my akhirah so the first way is just to remind ourselves continually about the existence of the akhirah the second thing uh, is to read those verses of the Quran and those hadith of the Prophet that talk about the Akhirah that either talk about the bounties the blessings of Jannah or also although many people find this difficult but it's something that we have to do and sometimes really we have to force ourselves to do this because when we turn a blind eye to this it's almost like we're sidelining part of the Quran when we sideline part of the Qur'an, it means we're sidelining Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we take part of the Qur'an lightly, actually we're taking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lightly. And there can be no, perhaps there is no, there is the most gross form of disrespect that we can do to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The greatest form of disrespect that a believer can do to their Lord is to take their Lord lightly in any way. And what I'm referring to here, here is the verses in the Quran and the Hadith of the Prophet that talk about the hellfire, that talk about the torments of hellfire, that talk about the pain, the punishments of hellfire. Although many of us might find it difficult to grasp that reality, or many of us feel uncomfortable discussing or reading or reflecting upon these things. But the purpose of this, the reason why Allah Subhanahu revealed these things, was to dissuade us from leading a life that might lead uh, to that destination. So it's very important then when we remember the Akhirah not only to think about Jannah, but also to realize that there's another type of Akhirah out there that each and every one of us has the potential to earn. And that in all honesty, perhaps most of us, many of us, many of our actions and many of our a'mal or many of our lack of action really seems on the surface in any way other than our hope and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but if we were to look at things on the surface it seems that we are really all the more uh, you know, traveling in that direction as opposed to the direction of Jannah 
So the second thing that is very beneficial then is reading and reminding ourselves and reflecting upon the descriptions of Jannah and Jahannam that Allah SWT has mentioned or revealed in His book or through His Messenger. And that's not, it's not just physical things as well. For example, one way Allah SWT describes Jannah in the Qur'an is that there is, it's a place where there is no kizb, there are no lies, it's a place where there is no deception, no ghurur, it's a place where there is no lahu, it's a place where there is no idol worship, idol time, there is no idol pastime, there is nothing, there is nothing wasteful. It's a state of pure... Uh, it's, it's a pure and pristine state of absolute bliss, tranquility, happiness, pleasure, productivity, right? Uh, and really, I mean, that's something that could not even be attained on this earth in any way, right? So the second thing is then for us to remind ourselves and read the descriptions of the Akhirah. The third thing is for us to, the third way to do zikr of the Akhirah is for us to scrutinize or examine or look at our life from the perspective of the Akhirah. In other words, to look at something, not just is it going to benefit me in this world, am I going to get some monetary progress, material progress, other type of progress, but to look at everything that we do, or at least look at our days, or at least look at our weeks, or at least look at our quarter. I mean, there should be some bare minimum unit of analysis of our reflection, right? That we should be people who are reflective, who reflect upon our lives. If we can't reflect every moment, if we can't reflect every minute, if we can't reflect every day, if we can't reflect every week, at least reflect every month or every quarter that what did I do with my life in this past month or what did I do with my life in this past quarter in the sense of the Akhirah, right? What, what value does, have these past three months of my life had in terms of earning my Akhirah, in terms of coming closer to my Akhirah, in terms of time that was well spent, in terms of an opportunity that was lost. Uh, you know, so to assess ourselves in the, per, in, the, in the lens of the Akhirah, and to then, number four, plan our future actions in the lens of the Akhirah. And if we find that up to now our lives have been lacking, or that our lives do not demonstrate any level of preparedness for death, right? And that's really what it is. If a person wants to know if they're prepared for the Akhirah, that means that they're prepared to die right now. They're prepared to die today. That they feel that right now, by today, I'm 21 years old, I've done enough. I've lived a life of righteousness, of piety. I've lived a life in which I've earned Allah subhanahu wa pleasure. And, now, and it's only until a person does that, then they begin yearning for the meeting with Allah. So if we find that we don't fit this chronic description, man kana yardillahi, man kana Allahi, that we're not people who have hope for Allah, or have hope in the meaning of Allah. Why is that? It's because we're not prepared for that meaning, right? We're ill-prepared for that meaning, therefore we have no desire for that meaning to take place anytime soon. That's a very big problem, right? And what we're really doing, and this is very important to understand what I'm about to say, what we've really done is we've missed out on even the lazat of this life. In other words, all lazat, all true itminan, peace and tranquility and serenity, all true lazat and halawat, pleasure and happiness in this world, are actually based on this, that a person leads a life of preparedness, and they enjoy this anticipation of meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, that is the pleasure of this world. The pleasure lies in the raja or in the hope of the meeting with Allah. So if we don't have that pleasure and that hope, that means we don't even, we're not even availing of the pleasures that exist in this world. If we don't have the lazat of our iman, if we don't have the halawat of iman, if we don't taste the sweetness of ibadat, that means that we're not even 
actually enjoying the pleasures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in this world let alone preparing ourselves to uh, be blessed by Allah subhanahu wa mercy to attain the pleasures of the Akhirah so the fourth thing then is to try to guide our life and our actions and our plans in the name of or for the sake of or in light of the Akhirah in light of the next life and once we begin to view ourselves really I mean in addition to our multiple or manifold identities as a woman, as a daughter, as a sister, as a student, as an activist, as a, you know, as many things, a primary part of our identity is that I am a creature of the Akhirah. I might not be there right now, but I am a creature of the Akhirah. I am an eternal being. I am just living a temporary state of existence in the dunya. Now that's very radical. If we start viewing ourselves as eternal beings, which is what we are, Right? We're not divinities, we're not divines, we're not gods. We're human beings, we're the slaves and servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are His creation. But He has ordained that He will He has ordained that we will live for eternity in one state or the other. And therefore if you begin to view ourselves like that and then couple that with the fact that this time on earth is what's going to determine our eternity. The way we spend our life, the choices that we made today, the choices that we made yesterday, the things that we did yesterday, the things that we do today, the things that we do tomorrow, is going to determine our entire eternity, is going to determine the state of our eternal being, right? Then, then our whole way of approaching life will change entirely. We won't view life as something that we're just living for the moment, living day by day, I take things one thing at a time, I live for the day, I live for the times, I'm enjoying my youth. We won't think like that anymore. We'll think that, no, you know, what I'm going to do is going to determine my permanent state for all of eternity. Right? So I don't live for a day. I'm living for eternity. The way I live this life is not just about today. It's not even just about today and tomorrow. It's about all of eternity. And when we start thinking like that, when we start realizing, acknowledging our hakikat, our reality, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in the Quran, that we are destined for eternity. Right? Then the way we, and that whole, again, that entire eternity is predicated on this life. Then the value of this life is phenomenal. It's incredible. Right? Imagine if, you know, if, if any of you are my students, if I told you that how you spend the next 10 seconds in my class will determine whether you get an A or get an F. Those 10 seconds are incredible value. Uh, they're priceless, right? Because they're going to determine everything. And I'll say, there's no coming back. Once those 10 seconds finish, that is finished. There's no appeal, there's no grade change form, there's no repeating the course, there's nothing. These 10 seconds are the be-all and end-all of your ultimate outcome. That is what our life is, right? Our life is the be-all and end-all which determines our ultimate outcome, which determines our akhirah, right? And so if we're people who are conscious of that akhirah, who are akhirah-minded, then perhaps we can live a life in this world that leads us to a beneficial outcome. And if we are people who are neglectful, if we are ghafil anil akhirah, if we are heedless, we're forgetful of this entire reality of the eternal hereafter, of our eternal life, of our preparedness for that, of the fact that this world is a prison, of the fact that that is the ultimate abode of peace and happiness, of the fact that we have to be willing sometimes in some cases to sacrifice temporary, temporary worldly happinesses for the sake of earning the pleasure of Allah, for the sake of attaining an eternal happiness in the next one. Until unless we can make those sacrifices, until unless we have that realization, we have that awareness that our ability to draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to live a life that is pleasing to Him, 
time will be obstructed. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us the ability to become people of the Akhirah and may He raise us in the state on the Day of Judgment that we have earned His pleasure such that we meet Him in a state that we are smiling upon Him and that He is smiling upon us. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillah min alameen. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم ربنا ظلمنا انفسنا وان لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين ربنا يا الله يا رب كريم يا الله يا الله you give us the greatest gift the ni'mah the bounty the blessing of iman ya allah zalamna anfusana ya allah we have wronged ourselves we have repressed ourselves ya allah we have failed to dan hifaza of our iman we have failed to nurture the nur of iman in our hearts ya allah we have failed to worship you to the extent until yakin has overcome us ya allah we ask you for your forgiveness your maghfirah on this blessed and noble day ya allah we ask you to shower your rahmah and your mercy upon us on this blessed and noble day. Ya Allah, for if you do not forgive us, if you do not send your mercy upon us, lanakunanna min al-khasireen. Ya Allah, verily we will be amongst the lost ones. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to nurture our iman. Ya Allah, we ask you to strengthen our iman. Ya Allah, let the iman in our heart be the most dominant sifat, the most dominant attribute of our being. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let each and every aspect of our life, each and every moment of our day, each and every moment of our night, each and every boat, each and every Every word that we speak, each and every thought that we think, each and every emotion that we feel, Ya Allah, let it be overcome and permeated with the Iman. Ya Allah, with our Iman in you, Ya Rabbi Kareem, and our Iman in Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to preserve our Iman from all of the inner challenges, from the challenges of our nafs, from the challenges of our inner illnesses and diseases. And Ya Allah, we ask you to safeguard our Iman from all of the external threats in the society, from all of the fitnas and the forms of various ideologies from the fitna of our environment from the fitness of, of bad company Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Allah we ask you to stay, save us and stave away from us Ya Allah all types of doubt skepticism and uncertainty and Ya Allah we ask you to replace it with the bright shining brilliant nur of Iman of Yaqeen Ya Allah we ask you to grant us Inlu Yaqeen we ask you to grant us Ainul Yaqeen Ya Rabbi Kareem we ask you to grant us Hakkul Yaqeen Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Allah make us amongst the mu'mineen Ya Allah make us amongst the mu'minat. Ya Allah, raise us in the day of judgment amongst the mu'mineen and mu'minat. Ya Allah, grant us a company of the mu'mineen and mu'minat in this world. And Ya Allah, grant us a place by the mu'mineen and mu'minat in the akhirah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us the iman of the sahaba, iman of the ulama and the awliya. Ya Allah, we grant, ask you to grant us the iman of the mufassirin and the muhaddisin and the fuqaha and the mashayikh. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to strengthen and preserve our iman and preserve the iman of all of our children and of all of our descendants and children to be into the Yawm deen Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to increase us in our ilm of the Akhirah, increase us in our zikr of the Akhirah. Ya Allah, let each and everything that you have mentioned about the Akhirah be at a level of haqqul yaqeen for us in our hearts and our minds. Ya Allah, let us keep the Akhirah in our mind and our heart at every moment in the day. Ya Allah, let each and every aspect of our life be regulated by the belief and the yaqeen and the Akhirah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us, Ya Allah, a good anjam, a good 
would result in the Akhirah. Ya Allah, we ask you to raise us on the Day of Judgment. Ya Allah, and save us from the trials and tribulations of that day. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us a place near Rasulullah Wasallam amongst the suffer the rose on the ranks of the Mu'mineen. Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to drink from his hands at the house of Kothar. Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to stay away and save us from all of the azab and the trials and torments of the grave and of that day. And Ya Allah, we beg for you to grant us your mercy and through your mercy to purify us and grant us admission into your Jannah, into the abode of your eternal pleasure. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask your forgiveness for all and any sins that we may have ever committed. Ya Allah, we ask your forgiveness for all of our doubts and skepticisms. Ya Allah, we ask your forgiveness for having taken you lightly, for having taken your deen lightly, for having taken those who uphold and defend your deen lightly. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us ilm of the Quran and ilm of the Sunnah. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us a deep understanding. And Ya Allah, those things that we have yet been able to understand, Ya Allah, we ask you to open up the doors for our hidayah, for our guidance. Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to have husnizan, to have a good opinion. Ya Allah, we ask you to guide us to those who may make increases in our understanding of the deen. Allahumma inna nas'anaka habbaka wa habba ma yuhibbuk. Ya Allah, we ask you to increase us in our love for you and increase us in our love for those who love you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, let our love for you be the most beloved thing, that you become the most beloved being in our hearts. Let love for you become the most strongest emotion in our being. Ya Allah, let our hearts be inclined to those things that earn your pleasure and let our hearts find repugnant those things which earn your displeasure. Ya Allah, those of us who are sick, grant us health. Ya Allah, grant us the shifai kamila, ajala, mustamilla. Ya Allah, those of us who are needy or in difficulty, grant us the risky halal tayyib, the purest and noblest forms of wealth. Ya Allah, those of us who are married, Ya Allah, grant us good relations with our spouses, good relations with our children. Ya Allah, raise our children on the nur of iman. Ya Allah, accept them from the khidmat of your deen. And Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, those of us who have yet to be married, Ya Allah, decree for us a spouse from amongst your ibadah salihin from amongst your righteous servants one who will nurture us in our deen and support us in our deen and through whom we may mutually earn your pleasure in this life and the next Rabbana takamal minna innaka anta samiyun alim wa tubu alayna innaka anta tawab rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya alhamar rahimin